Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of the directors. So glad that you are here, whether it's your first time uh, or you've listened to us for a while. Either way, we're so thankful that you choose to listen to us and hear our messages and the other things we put out. Be sure to like, subscribe, all of that so that you can keep getting some of that and maybe even uh, point some other people in our direction to hear some of our content. Uh, well, today we are still in our Mark series for the summer. We've been going chapter by chapter. I believe we are in chapter 11 at this point. You're about to hear a uh, message from Pastor Jared, who's going to talk about a piece of scripture that is uh, a teaching of Jesus that is often quoted. And he's really going to help us understand what it means and what Jesus is trying to say. So uh, that's going to be exciting. Be sure to give that a listen. Also, I'll remind you if there is any desire for you to connect to this community we would love to help you do that in fact we believe that you belong in this community and we want you to connect so be sure to fill out a connect card so that we can help you do that best Um, but go ahead and give this message a listen and i'll catch up with you in just a moment you may have a seat my name is jared and welcome to life canton i'm one of the pastors here i am glad that you are with us and uh, if, you're, if you're newer here, there's going to be a QR code that goes up on the screen. I encourage you to get your phone out right now, even as I'm talking. You can scan that, and then we can connect with you and help you take some next steps as well. Also, I want to let you know that if you're like, oh, it's that guy, I don't want to hear him preach, you can go do, meet the pastor uh, right out in the cafe and meet a different pastor, and there's like donuts and coffee, so it might be more cool than this. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, I'm going to get more into that in just a second. I want to let you know just a couple cool uh, bits of information. Next week, we are having New Life Sunday. It's where people are going to get baptized. It's going to be happening outside uh, because we are hoping for nice weather. You clap, but it says 75 and sunny right now, but in Michigan, I mean, that could change in a heartbeat. So it could be snowing by next Saturday. We don't know, uh, or next Sunday, but it's going to be out, uh, outside. We have 11 people that are signed up to get baptized, so we're super excited about that. And then I, want you to, I wanted to let you know as well, the last couple of weeks, you may have noticed this if you've been here, um, but up in that section, that balcony section towards the end, we've been inviting our uh, elementary kids to come in and join us for worship because they have said they wanted to join the moms and dads, they wanted to join the adults in worship. So if you've noticed kids are like screaming from the balcony, it's intentional. Uh, that's why they're there. Uh, so I didn't want you to be freaked out by that, but then they'll go back to their room. So if you're newer here and you're wondering, should I go up there to pick up my kid? No, you go to the same spot and uh, they'll be happy to meet you there. We are in a series on Mark. We're just going through the book of Mark this summer. And we're all the the way up to chapter 11 today. It's been a lot. Uh, Today specifically is going to be dense. I just want to warn you ahead of time, it's nerdy. It's like heavy teaching stuff. So I hope you're here for it. uh, And if you're a note taker, this might be a good day to take some notes because this is a really um, intense passage, I would say. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, but I want to ask you a question first. First, before we get started too much, have you ever heard this phrase? Raise your hand if you've ever heard this phrase, faith to move mountains. Faith to move mountains. Whether you've grown up in church or not uh, in church, you've probably heard that phrase in some way, shape, or form. And, and maybe if you're not from church, you didn't grow up with the Bible, you're like, what does that even mean? Like, what do Christians mean when they talk about faith to move mountains? And maybe a bigger question to ask is like, why does anybody need to move a mountain? I mean, is it that people are like looking at mountains and say, this one doesn't really fit there, but I think it should move over there. Like, why do we need to move a mountain? 
right? <laughs> and what, what, is, what is our faith for? Is that what faith is for, is to move a mountain? And for those of you who have grown up in the church, you're like, no, no, it's, it's hyperbole, right? It's a, it's a metaphor. It's not a literal mountain, or, or is it? Like, how, how do we understand it? We have different interpretations of what these things mean. And the bigger question that I want us to ask as we go throughout the rest of the message is a question about faith. Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 11, this particular passage, is really centered around faith. And the question is, is what is faith? Like, what is the function of faith? I know what faith is, but what is faith for? Is it just for certain kinds of outcomes? Is it so that I can just go to heaven when I die? Is that what faith is? Is that what it's, it's, that what it's for? Is faith for something bigger than that? And so what I want us to do is I want us to see where this phrase, faith to move mountains, actually comes from, but then kind of expand its context a little bit more. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Mark chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 22, but if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen and you can follow along in that way. It reads like this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Faith to move mountains. What's Jesus talking about here? What does he mean by that? Why do we need to move a mountain? And what's the bigger piece that's going on here in terms of faith? If you just have faith in God, okay, so that's where my faith is directed, uh, faith to move mountains, well, then it will happen. That sounds very uh, direct. And then just make sure you have no doubt, believe you've received it, it will be yours. All of these phrases are about certain kinds of faith, certain levels of faith. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know what growing up was like for you or how people talked about faith or if you grew up in church and talked about faith, but a lot of the things that I heard along the way, not every single time, but along the way, was a certain kind of faith that talked about faith to move mountains. And it was this idea that it was my personal outcomes, like I was hoping for successful outcomes. And for students, maybe it's like, you know, I just need to have faith that I do good on this test, that I can get a good grade. Or maybe it's for a particular outcome relating to a relationship, or getting to a particular college, or getting on a team, or, or getting an audition, or something like that. For adults, it's maybe centered around health, or wellness, prosperity, some kind of relational success. And then that's, that's more of a cultural norm, but then when you add church into that, you just add faith in Jesus onto those hoped-for successful outcomes, then over time what faith turns into is sort of this currency that we get to, to sort of spend toward God to get what we want, right? That's what this sort of transactional faith becomes, is I have faith in God for certain outcomes, for my personal gain, for my individual gain, so that things will go well for me. And that's a great idea, until it doesn't work out. And I've talked to many of you where your faith has not necessarily produced a positive outcome that you were hoping for. You've been praying really hard, right? And, and the natural progression is to go to when, when it doesn't work out for you, when the personal outcome isn't successful, well, then you've got to go back to these verses. My faith didn't move the mountain. So then, well, I, maybe I had some doubts or maybe I didn't pray the right way. Maybe I didn't have enough faith in God. We start to talk about faith as a literal currency. I don't have enough faith. I'm impoverished in my faith. 
Or if I can just, I can just pray harder, maybe I just gotta, I gotta squeeze really hard and just really try to believe more, then I will get the outcome that I hoped for. And then when it continues to not be the outcome that you hoped for, then you wonder, well, where is God? Why is this faith even necessary? What is my faith for? What is Jesus even talking about? How do we deal with this passage? And what does faith to move mountains actually look like? Here's the thing. We take verses out of context all the time, all the time. And then we apply them to our individual circumstances. And when it doesn't work out, we get really confused about what faith is all about. So what I want us to do is I actually want to look all the way back a few verses beforehand and look at the whole story to see a greater context so that we can maybe understand this passage about faith to move mountains just a little bit more. So we're going to go all the way back to verse 11, and we're going to build on the story and unpack each part. In verse 11, it reads like this. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. So just, just a really kind of setting the scene a little bit. I want to show these underlying parts. He's, he's in the temple. The temple is really the central area, the central structure for all of Jewish life. Not just religiously, but also politically, socially, economically. I mean, this is the hub for Jewish identity. And so Jesus is here. And he's looking around. He's observing things. Pay attention to that. Uh, what he's looking at. What, what is he trying to observe? What is he's looking for something specifically. We don't get that just yet. But then he has to leave uh, because he's going to Bethany. Now, Bethany is just a sort of a nearby village. But it's a bit of a hike from Jerusalem. You've got to kind of go up and down some hills. And when it's late in the afternoon, it's going to start to get dark. So he's got to get back in time before it's dark because otherwise it's dangerous to travel. Mark is just setting the scene here for us for just a little bit. Now, we get to see what happens when he returns to the disciples. We're going to go into the next verse, verse 12. And it says this, The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves, uh, sorry, there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Mark wants us to understand that the disciples heard him say that. What in the world's going on? Like, what? why is he cursing a tree? May no one ever eat of your fruit again. That seems a little uh, extra, Jesus. Like, what? Like, he's not just hungry, but now he's what we would call hangry, right? Like, he is cursing a tree because it doesn't have fruit. And I've got questions about this because it's too early in the season for the fruit. Well, what are you expecting? Like Jesus knows how nature works, right? Like if we believe what it says about Jesus, that he existed before creation and in him all creation holds together. He knows how creation works. He knows how nature works. So what's he frustrated about? He knows that it's not in season. He knows that it's not supposed to, fruit, uh, to, to produce fruit. And yet he's super angry about this. May nobody ever eat fruit again from this tree. By the way, this is not like a life application verse for you to go to your fridge and see that there's not enough food for you in the fridge and to slam the door shut and say, may no one ever eat of this fridge again. Like that's not, that's not what this is about. Don't go cursing things in your kitchen, okay? So this is very interesting. What in the world is going on here? What I want us to pay attention to is that there's no fruit on the tree and there's never going to be fruit on the tree. 
That's going to come into play a little bit later on. Let's go on to the next verses because we're building on this story. It says this in verse 15, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, so it was just a short stay in Bethany, they're back in Jerusalem now. Jesus entered the temple. He began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. Okay, now his anger is taken to a next level. This is why breakfast is the most important meal of the day. No, that, that's not what this is about. No, he, he, he's already angry because he doesn't get his breakfast. Now he's here and he's moving stuff over. Like, what is going on here? Why is he so angry? Why is he like turning over tables and everything? Like this is one of the passages where people often go to to say, no, Jesus got angry. Jesus had righteous angry, uh, anger and he, he got violent as well. And this is the passages that they go to to sort of justify their anger or justify their violence. But there's, there's got to be more going on here than just Jesus having a bad day or Jesus skipping breakfast. There's more here. What's going on? Well, he's doing this in the temple. Okay, what we established before is that the temple is central to all of Jewish life. Certainly religiously, economically, politically, socially as well. But Jesus is super angry about what's going on here. And there's an important thing that's happening with the temple and the function of the temple. Jesus speaks about this in the very next passage. Let's look at this next passage. It says this in verse 17. He said to them, the scriptures declare... My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That word nations there is the word ethnos or ethnicity. All nations, all ethnic ethnic groups. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. You are using this as a place for your corrupt greed, is what Jesus is saying. This is a provocative statement. Now again, it's important that we understand the function of the temple to understand why he's so angry about what's going on. Why he's just throwing tables around in chairs. What in the world is going on? Here's the deal that we need to understand about the temple. The temple is the central figure or focal, focal point for all of Jewish life. Religiously, it's for the purpose of prayer, forgiveness, and healing. Prayer, forgiveness, and healing. And the priests and the religious leaders are there at the temple to sort of uh, set the atmosphere to cultivate faith. And you cultivate your faith through those things, through prayer, through forgiveness, through healing. Your faith in God grows as a result of these things. Well, that's not what's going on here. And, And we see this. This isn't some idea that Jesus made up. This is long before Jesus even enters on the scene physically. We see this in the Old Testament all the way back in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, Solomon is the, the key figure in this story, and he has been the one to finish the building of the temple. And so now that the, the building is finished, the construction's all done, this is what happens in the very next part. It says this in 2 Chronicles. It says, if my people, God is speaking to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Some translations say restore their land. Prayer, forgiveness, healing. This is what's said to Solomon after the completion of the temple. This is the function. This has always been the function of the temple for hundreds of years. And now... It's a different scene. 
It's a different scene. And Jesus is turning over tables. And what's happening? They're selling animals for sacrifice. They're selling doves as well. What is that all about? Well, what we need to understand about that is they're still under the sacrificial system. You go and you make a sacrifice. This isn't just the Hebrew people. This is all throughout that ancient world is living under a sacrificial system. They just had their own unique kind of system. You sacrifice an animal so that it can atone for your sin. You're willing to give something up so that God can extend his forgiveness to you. There was a very practical, uh, practical, tangible method here. So they would understand, I must give something up. I must make a sacrifice and receive God's forgiveness. But this isn't how Jesus wants it to be. This is not the trajectory of where this is going. And not only that, but what they're doing is they're actually turning that sacrificial system into a money-making scheme. Not only are the priests and religious leaders allowing this to happen, they're actually complicit in it. They are causing it to happen. They're setting up shops because what happens? Well, if you've been traveling from a distant land and you get to the temple and you want to receive forgiveness from God, but you weren't able to you know, bring along a goat or a sheep or something else along with you, well, hey, we got you covered. We've got a little marketplace. We've got some animals here. We've got some doves here. We'll sell one to you so that you can purchase it and then you can go and make your sacrifice to God. We've made it easy for you. They're like the first century Amazon, like right there at your door. They're ready to go. They've got what you need. And not only that, but he turns over the tables of the money changers. So there are people coming from all over the place with different forms of currency. They've got to get the right currency to pay for the right kind of sacrifice so that they can get their forgiveness from God. Jesus is furious about this process that they have set up. The priests and religious leaders have turned this into a money-making scheme. What was the temple for? What were the functions of the priests? To cultivate faith through prayer, forgiveness, and healing. They're not doing any of that anymore. And Jesus is furious. He's furious. It's not just some random anger that he's got to get out. There is purpose behind his anger. They have made this into a den of thieves, robbers. And here's what's interesting. How did they respond to it? Check out what happens with the priests and the religious leaders in verse 18. When the leading priests and the teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. So they're not happy, okay? So this isn't just some like, oh, that bummer, that guy, you know, he kind of messed with our system. No, they're planning how to kill him. Notice I, I, I highlighted how. They're not planning to kill him. They've already figured that out. Now they're trying to figure out the creative way for how to kill him. Why? Because they want to send a message that this is not what you do anymore. This is not the system that God set up for us and you are messing with us. And you're messing with our system. Now they're thinking about ways of how to kill Jesus. There are lots of reasons why people wanted to kill Jesus back in the first century, why the Jews wanted to, why the Romans wanted to. A lot of it was centered around the Jews being frustrated that he was doing the things that God would do and calling himself the son of God. The Romans were afraid that he was starting up this movement and were gonna take over the Roman military and so they wanted to kill him for different reasons. But not often do we talk about this reason as to why people wanted to kill Jesus. Think about that. How provocative is the statement of Jesus that would want to cause them to think about not just that they're going to kill him, but how they're going to kill him? It's because 
Jesus is messing with their little side hustle. He's not okay with the way in which they are making money off of this structure that was always meant for cultivating faith in God. You have turned this into transactional faith, not transformational faith. This has become conditional faith, not compassionate faith. They've got a really good side hustle going on because they're selling these animals, they're making money, they're changing over the money, and they're getting a little extra on the side. And so they are very upset when Jesus gets in the way of that. Think about that. Think about how that might translate into our modern day. Do you, do I, have a transactional faith where it's about my own personal gain or do I have a transformational faith that involves prayer, forgiveness, and healing? See, Jesus gets in the way of that. I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with Christians making money, but when faith is used as a money-making opportunity as a replacement for the ministry of reconciliation, then we have gone completely off the map. And I lived in that world for a good chunk of my time in ministry, being in the megachurch world where it's all about business all the time and producing things. Where the message, the ministry of reconciliation and the hard mission of service and sacrifice and even ethnic reconciliation gets lost along the way. They want to put Jesus down and quickly because he's messing with their money-making. Check out what happens next in the story. Mark chapter 11, verse 19, it says this, that evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. So they're back to the fig tree. Left the temple, all of the anger, thinking about how to kill Jesus. Now they're back to the fig tree. We're like in two different stories. Like what is going on here? How are these connected? I underlined these for a reason. Withered from the roots up and they withered and died. What is going on here? Why is Jesus talking back about the the fig tree? Why is Mark taking us back to the fig tree? I want you to pay attention to these. Hold on to them because we're going to go into the very next verse, because this is what takes us to the verses that we read earlier. It says, Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, it will be yours. This section completes what Pastor John talked about a couple weeks ago of the Mark sandwich. You know what I'm talking about? There's layers here. There's a, there's a sandwich. Mark does this often. This is like one of the primary Mark sandwiches in the book of Mark. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, in the next uh, image here, we've got fig tree, temple, fig tree, right? We've got bread, meat, bread, and they're all connected It's not as though the fig tree is a story over here and it's completely unrelated to the temple over here. No, they are actually completely related. Remember what happens with the fig tree. Jesus curses it. It doesn't bear fruit. He goes to the temple. He turns everything over because they have become corrupt. They've been about money. And he goes back to the fig tree and now it's withered and died. 
But here's the thing. I actually think this is bigger than just a Mark sandwich. I think, and these are my words, these are not scholarly words by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think this is a Mark turkey club, okay? You know what I'm talking about? A turkey club, there's like bread, meat, bread, meat, tomato, like it it, it builds upon each other. So we're going to talk about the Mark turkey club. We've got temple, fig tree, temple, fig tree, temple. I told you this was going to get nerdy, okay? (laughs) There's more going on here. This is why I had us start in verse 11 to say that Jesus starts in the temple to observe everything that's going on, right? And then we get to the fig tree the next morning. He curses it. May no one ever eat of your fruit again. He goes to the temple. He turns everything over after he had already observed everything the day before. And he is furious about what the temple has become. In a sense, he is cursing it in the same way that he cursed the fig tree. When they see the results of the next, uh, the next time they walk by the, the fig tree, it's dead. It is withered from the roots up. It's withered and died. And then we get back to the temple again. And you might be saying, no, no we didn't. No, we didn't. We just, we just got a verse about uh, a mountain being lifted up and thrown into the sea. We get something about doubt. We get something about prayer. There, there's nothing about the temple in that section. There's no bottom piece of bread here to support the sandwich. There is. Because he says, this mountain. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain. What do I mean by that? Here's the thing. We have used these verses many times to talk about faith to move mountains. If you have faith to move mountains, faith for God to do the impossible things. We talk about mountains as sort of this generic, it's, it's any mountain, whatever your mountain is in life. Maybe your mountain is your debt. Maybe your mountain is your marriage. Maybe your mountain is uh, your, your finances or something like that or, or getting into the right school or whatever it might be, getting the right job. That's my mountain. And so we just kind of slap that into the scriptures and sort of make it our own personal circumstance. But that's actually not what's going on here. Jesus is actually being literal. He's actually being literal about this mountain. What you might not know is that in the ancient part of the world, and and even still to this day, in that uh, that part of Israel, they would refer to the temple not as just the temple, but Temple Mount. Temple Mount. Most of the people in the ancient world understood it as that. I want to show you a map uh, to kind of see what's going on here. Uh, This is sort of a cross-section of Israel, the whole land. We've got the the southern part, the northern part. Jerusalem is kind of in the uh, the central part of Israel. Now, there's not a whole lot of mountains in Israel, actually. It's a lot of hills. They're not mountains in the way that we would understand it. This over here is a lot more mountainous. This is Jordan. And then at the very north end, we have Mount Hermon. That is a large mountain in the northern part of Israel. And then we've got some down here. But Temple Mount, it's not actually on a mountain per se. It's just on an elevated part of the land. Jesus does most of his ministry up in this circle, but then from time to time, he's traveling down here or he's traveling down here. And there's always a central meeting point in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where everything is happening. And then in the center of Jerusalem, you have Temple Mount. It's on the highest part of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is talking about a literal mountain. More so, Temple Mount. And he's saying, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, He's probably just outside of of Jerusalem, outside of the city, by the fig tree, and they can see, everybody can see the temple 
Everybody can see Temple Mount from where you're standing because it's high up. That was intentional. You wanted people to be able to look up and to see, okay, the temple's still there. That means our God is still in charge, and that's conditional on my faith. If the temple's there, I'm good to go. God must be in charge. We're good. So they're pointing to this Temple Mount. But then he says, in very kind of cryptic language, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up into the sea and thrown into the sea and it will happen. What in the world? See, he's actually talking about a literal event. The temple is going to be moved. It's not going to be lifted up and thrown into the sea, but it is going to be moved. In fact, it's going to be leveled. Jesus is talking about a future event that will actually happen 40 years from his ministry. We know that in history, in 70 AD, the Romans come in, they have had it with the Israelites, they have had it with the Jewish people, they come in and they completely level the temple. They just completely destroy it and there is nothing left. It gets moved. Jesus is talking about the movement of Temple Mount, but he's not talking about it in a positive way. It's not faith to move mountains so that God can receive the glory and I'll be happier in my personal success and my personal circumstances. No, this is about destruction. This is about the Romans coming in and completely leveling their building that represented all of their central Jewish identity. And Jesus is actually asking them to ask God to remove it. What in the world is going on? Well, here's the deal. Talked about that turkey club. Temple, fig tree, temple, fig tree, temple. It's not bearing fruit. The temple's not bearing fruit anymore. The religious leaders, the priests have become corrupt. They don't even believe in this thing anymore. They're just making a transaction. They are just in it for the money. They are just in it for the fame and the celebrity. They have completely forgone the function of faith in the temple. They're not cultivating anybody's faith. It needs to be removed, God says. Jesus says, pray. When you pray, you must believe it will really happen. He's actually talking about the event that will take place 40 years from that date. Why is this important? This is so crucial to understand that we do not take phrases like faith to move mountains and project it onto random situations that aren't within the context of what the scripture is actually talking about and potentially harm somebody else's faith. And to go to somebody who's struggling with a diagnosis or somebody who's struggling in a marriage or somebody who's struggling with their finances and just say these sort of trite statements, well, just have faith to move mountains. You need to have more faith right? It's a currency. Or maybe you just need to pray a certain way. Or maybe, well, did you have any doubts? Maybe you have some doubts still that you need to deal with. And maybe God's not answering your prayer because you still have some doubts. That is not helpful and it's not biblical. And it's not even what this phrase is talking about here. We harm people's faith when we put conditions on it, when we put transactions on it. And it's it's no surprise why people walk away from the church because faith isn't working for them anymore. This is what Jesus calls the disciples to. In verse 24, he says, I tell you, if you pray, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone that you are holding a grudge against. 
so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Jesus is now reclaiming the function of the temple, the function and job of the priests and the religious leaders and saying, now it belongs to you. This would have been a radical statement for the disciples to hear. This is now your function. You are now part of the priesthood because this mountain is going away. Don't even worry about that because the essence of what it was supposed to be is now captured within you. This is the first century meaning of the church has left the building. Literally, because the building's not going to be there anymore. But you will be. You will be. The temple's not a building anymore. It's a person. It's initiated in Jesus, but now extended through and in you. You're all like mini temples walking around now. You get to be the extension of God's ministry of reconciliation, cultivating the faith of others through prayer, through forgiveness, through healing. This is why the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, you are now the Holy Spirit. Or sorry, you, no, that's not true. Scratch that. You are now a temple and the Holy Spirit lives within you. That'd be a whole different message for another time. You're like miniature temples, mobile temples, walking around, administering faith. And it's not just through an activity now. It's just something greater. We cultivate our faith through a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of forgiveness, a lifestyle of healing. What does that mean for us? How do we begin to cultivate or continue to cultivate this kind of faith? I'm going to keep it real simple for us. As we go throughout this week, I want to call you to three very simple things. To pray. Cultivate your faith through prayer. But specifically, praying for someone else. See, oftentimes when we think about praying to move mountains, usually it's connected to our own personal gain. It's a transactional faith, not a transformational faith. If you've never done this before, consider in your prayer time praying for someone else. Pray for their needs. Pray for their faith to grow. Pray for their hope to rise. And maybe some of you even right now have that name of the person that you just know you're supposed to be praying for this week. If you've never done that before, I want to invite you to pray for someone this week. The second one is this. Forgive. Forgive or ask for forgiveness. Life is hard. Relationships are hard. And people are difficult. We need forgiveness. See, Jesus wasn't making a conditional statement when he says, if you forgive others, then God will forgive you. It's not an if-then kind of situation. What he's saying is that when you forgive others, you actually participate in the heart and character of God. You understand God more when you have the strength and the courage and the presence of the Spirit to be able to forgive someone and release them from that pain. Or maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Is there a relationship where there's a grudge involved? I would encourage you to write that down and to begin that practice of forgiveness. And then lastly, heal. Heal. 
Oftentimes when you talk about healing, it's usually associated with physical healing. Maybe we pray for healing and you should not stop praying for healing. We are a church that will continue to do so. Pray for illness, pray for sickness, pray for physical uh, ailments that are, that are hurting you, that are ca- causing pain to your body. We will pray for those things, absolutely. But then we leave it up to God. We don't know what he's going to do with that. But I want to invite you into other forms of healing as well. Some of you have received really shame-inducing messages growing up in churches. As I've gotten to know a lot of you, there's been a lot of shame as it relates to faith and maybe even passages like this that have provoked that within you. Well, you just don't have enough faith. Well, maybe you're dealing with some doubt. You need to pray better. You need to pray differently. You need to pray more. And then God will... No. And so maybe some of you are needing to heal from some of that theological abuse. Some of you maybe did to heal in relationships again. And that goes right back to the forgiveness piece. There's reconciliation that needs to take place. I'll start with one very practical example of healing. One way that I think you can heal and participate in healing is by contributing to better healing messages on social media. I've been noticing over the last couple of weeks that there's been things that go around, and this isn't new. This happens every year or every five years, every 10 years. There's some sort of thing that, you know, is given this kind of message. If you share this with five other friends, then, you know, God's going to bless you in your life or something like that. And what, right now what's going on is this very urgent message. You need to turn back to Jesus. Are you watching the news? Are you paying attention to what's going on? We need to be really afraid. We need to be really freaked out. So turn back to Jesus right now and then share this with other friends on Facebook. Can you just please stop doing that? That is not the heart of God. To induce more fear and more shame is not part of the healing ministry of Jesus. And if you do do it, and if you feel it's very necessary for you to be part of those kinds of urgent messages, then I would ask you just to not attach Life Canton to it. Because that is not going to be the heart of this church. We are going to create belonging so that people can encounter Jesus and experience forgiveness and healing. If anything is attached to more fear and more shame, I don't want any part of it. I want to invite you to stand if you are able. I mentioned that verse from 2 Chronicles 7.14. There's a song that we've sung here several times now, but it is completely that passage, almost verbatim. And I want you to make this song your prayer as you go throughout this week, that we might cultivate our faith through continual prayer, forgiveness, and healing. Let's sing together. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that teaching from Pastor Jared as he showed us not only how to understand the context of this verse, but uh, some tools to help us just understand context in general. But I think he did a great job of showing us exactly what Jesus was trying to show his disciples in context, which is something I'm also passionate about. So uh, if you enjoyed that message, um, I want to encourage you to also take the opportunity to encourage the mission to support rather the mission of God at this church as he builds us into a community where faith is developed. 
and really he's the only one who can do that and the only one who's in charge of that so if you want to encourage what he's doing at this church uh, and support it with your giving please do so via the church center app or our website this is an opportunity to give back to god for what he's doing um, whether you're someone who has experienced that or witnessed that in our community um, and I also want to encourage you that if there's anything you're trying to process, um, feel free to reach out so we can encourage you uh, so that we can support you again via that uh, connect card, which you can find on our church center app also or our website. But I hope you have a blessed week. I hope you find opportunities this week uh, to cultivate faith, the kind of faith that Pastor Jared talked about, transformational faith. And may God bless you with those moments. We'll see you again real soon.